Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. This week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Didier Love, the Director of Global Treasury at Worldwide Flight Services. Now, Founded in 1971, Worldwide Flight Services are, well, Didier and I were just discussing about cargo going up into the plane, cargo coming down to it, and everything else. Now, I'm recording this episode, so I'm going to jump straight into it, in the 23rd of March. I mean, flight services, moving cargo around the world has never been much more in the public spotlight than it is at the moment. We're like heading into, well, we're midway through coronavirus in different countries around the world. And one of the things we both did, we were talking about before the show, you know, should we carry on with the show? You know, people are thinking much more this. Actually, we are carrying on because we know you guys love to listen to this. And I think it'll be interesting when we get a bit later on in the show, I don't want to make it just about that. The Treasury Career Corner every week is about treasurers and their careers, how they've built their careers and I think a lot of the things that Didier has done and some of his different roles we talked about have sort of prepared him for this special moment and dealing with this crap that's coming at us. What's also weird, you guys won't see it because I've got a face for radio. Didier is much better than I. And we're actually doing a bit on video so you can see me drinking my, uh, I'm going to have a beer and he's in New York so he's actually been much better behaved. But joking aside, as these times show, it's a bit more relaxed to show. So I want Didier, first of all, go through his career, talk about how he got up to now in Treasury, and we're going to look at some of the challenges that are coming in crisis situations. We're talking about, we're bouncing around, not your typical everyday, you know, like, what are your three tips for the future? We'll still get those, but Didier, enough from me, sir. You started on the dark side, not no, not too many Star Wars references, but you were in banking. You, you made that, you escaped with yep. your life, but Didier, over to you, sir. <laughs> talk us through. Go to you. I actually fell in love with banking and with finance in the late 80s. So remember in 1987, Black Monday, I was studying finance at French University, followed up with an MBA in New York and uh, started out at Citibank in Paris on the bright side of the dark side, i.e. relationship management. Right. I started out being basically the banker for all these multinational corporations who had subsidiaries in France. And a lot of what we did for them was actually cash management, FX, a lot of moving to, to centralized cash management in Europe. A lot of these companies were setting up shared service centers in Belgium or in Ireland or you name it. And part of my job as relationship manager was interacting with corporate treasurers and offering all these great services from Citibank. Mm. <laughs> and from there, after about five years as relationship manager, I thought cash management and treasury management was actually pretty fun in terms of product, the flows, the network, the technology. And, and so I went to specialize a little bit in the cash management department of Citibank for another three years. And that was really setting up a, you know, cash pooling, automated cash pooling, uh, electronic banking, starting to see, you know, the, the rise of the internet in 1995 and how is that going to impact cash management services. And did that for about three years till I felt well, well-versed in those products and solutions. And then I moved back to relationship banking and switched to ABN AMRO, which was a more a, a European-centric bank and mm-hmm. Citibank. Mm-hmm. That's, a time, that's a time when Citibank merged with Travelers Group, and at the time, they became more deal-focused, 
than relationship focused, more America's focused than, than global. And so at the time with 1999, felt like a good time to move to a European bank. So went to ABN AMRO, great network, great position in cash management at the time. That's all disappeared because ABN AMRO after 2008 was purchased by RBS. Most up everywhere. Whole, yeah, whole restructuring. So you don't really hear about ABN AMRO and European cash management anymore. No. So that gave you a grounding in treasury slash banking or banking slash treasury, actually probably the other way around. Good times, you know, to start to sort of get to know your customers in treasury and things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was really interacting with group treasurers, seeing their side of the deal. And you know, as time went on, I felt from a personal standpoint that maybe I would be better in that role than on the banking side. Okay, so you started because, to get a taste for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because basically, every company has got one treasurer and only one treasurer. Yeah. Whereas bankers, you know, you get five for a dollar. A lot of bankers out there all doing the same thing, pushing their product. And even when they're called relationship bankers, they're trying to push the product. And I thought at the time, and I'm not sure it's changed much, a lot of the product was the same. Right. You took Citibank, you took ABN AMRO, you took BNP, you took Barclays, whatever. European cash management solutions were more or less the same. You know, service levels deferred and investments deferred. But it, it was a lot of the same thing, a lot of the same structures. You know, let's have this matrix structure with geography and relationships. Mm. So it got sort of boring on that side. I figured, you know, I, I, I don't want to be on the dark side forever. So <laughs> let's go to Let's go see what the other side looks like. You know, your first role, mate, you made the move. Yep. So end of 2004, I left ABN AMRO. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything on the other side. I figured, you know, I'm just going to jump ship and sell my 12 years of experience to the other side. And found that it was actually pretty tough. A, because this is France. And France, it's maybe tougher to change industries or change roles than elsewhere. And B, because you go see corporates and say, I want to be a treasurer. You know, I have 12 years of banking. And they're like, well, what does that have to do with treasury? You don't know anything about treasury. We've got these guys who have been treasurers for 12 years since they came out of school. And you have basically zero years of experience. So rude awakening, you can uh, fight it or you can embrace it. Mm -hmm. After a while, I embraced it. I said, okay, so what is it I need to learn? And where can I use what I did learn in the past 12 years to sort of make a difference? And so I started targeting mid-cap companies that, that needed my expertise and my knowledge of the bank. So some treasurers, they're really about you know, internal focus. Let's manage, you know current accounts between this subsidiary and that subsidiary. And some treasurers, they are working with banks because you need more funding. You need to put in place, you know, this factoring facility. You need to put in place uh, or renegotiate these cash management structures. And so I started looking more at those type of roles. And mid-cap is companies that are less than a billion in revenue. That's where they need that capacity and that knowledge. And so I found a first job, which was a temporary job, 15 months in a French IT leasing company called Econocom, which is now pretty much a European leasing company. At the time, they were about 500 million euro. Now I think they're around 3 billion and they didn't really have a treasurer and the CFO needed someone who could work on a number of projects. One of them was you know, renegotiating the factoring agreements. Another one was renegotiating his cash management with his various banks. And then they had some other ideas like, can we offer financing to other corporates because we do IT leasing, but maybe we can do other types of financing for corporates. So they, they wanted to try to be creative and just bring in 
the guy with a banking background. Yeah, but I noticed when you had you made a number of roles, and you know, people that on the podcast, you know, when they go back through and look at your LinkedIn profile, they might see this. You do what I call sort of general treasurer jobs. What I mean by that is sometimes you go into treasury and you're very specialist in cash management or FX or this, but you did sort of sort of higher level, more strategic treasurer roles, but sort of you know not group treasurer jobs at you know top companies you know huge huge you know with big teams you're actually much more hands-on treasury because you move through two or three of those how come that was the sort of you know the I mean, private equity and things did you choose that or did it choose you i think it chose me more than mm-hmm. i chose mm-hmm. that i'm a very curious guy you know i, mm-hmm. I don't want to be boxed in i don't want to be the super expert on a specific topic i i have interest in biology and in history and in finance and in whatever. And so I tend to be going to all these different types of things, but Hmm. at a sort of higher level, more strategic level. And that was one of the difficulties moving from banking, corporate treasury in mid caps is that you're in banking, you're relationship manager, you're having these high level discussions with your clients, and then you hand it over to the product specialist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've got a million people who are doing stuff uh, for you internally in the bank. You've got the legal guy who's doing this and the accounting guy who's doing that and the tax guy. And, and when you get to the treasury role, even if you're touching on a lot of subjects like I have, you really need to be hands-on because there's no one else. So you need to get into the detail of, you know, what's the implication that tax implication of what I'm doing here. How is this factoring stuff going to be working from an accounting standpoint because I'm under French Gap or IFRS or what have you? And that's part of the learning process when you move from banking to corporate treasuries. You have to do nitty gritty. No one's there to do it for you. So you have to have that curiosity and that ability to you know, step down from your pedestal and carry the bricks like everyone else. That was something that I actually felt good about because when you're doing that, well, you A, you get more respect from the people around you. And two, you, you feel you're really part of the team. And it's healthier than, you know, when you're in a position where every job is very segmented and, and everyone's, you know, passing it on to someone else and getting it off their hands. So I, I like that approach that was much more team focused and because you're involved in the details you really understand what you're doing from a to z you know with all the consequences and that's what uh, one of the things i really like today in the treasury function is that i get to touch you know every piece of of the the activity but before you got to that so there's a very very selective theme here for the guys that are listening we've got computer services meatpacking and apparel Obviously, you choose. This is over to you, Didier. No pressure. What's the theme there except for it had treasury in it? So it was like, you know, the guy's listening. Wow. Okay. Because people say, oh, you need to, you know, pivot yourself and everything else. Over to you, sir. You come on. Is it all about cash? Yeah. Cash is, I mean, cash is the same in, in meatpacking and IT services yeah. and uh, apparel. And once, oh, that, once you look at it that way and it's, it's cash, it's relationships yeah. with the banks, and it's, it's working with a bunch of different people. The meatpacking uh, piece was special because this was a CFO role. It was a HR crisis situation where the, uh, the general manager of the group had a stroke. The CFO resigned. And, you know, I was sort of doing consulting for them. And they said, well, do you want to be CFO? 
I said, okay, I'll try it out. And it was actually not a very good cultural fit. So CFO, wrong cultural fit, different type of job. And this was a CFO role that was very uh, accounting focused. Yeah. Not a lot to do with banks, not a lot to do with structuring various financial solutions. So it didn't work out. I left after six months and then went back to Treasury. DB Apparel, December 2008, we're in the midst of the financial meltdown. I'm hired to come in because they have no group treasurer. They were a spinoff. They have a CFO, but they've got no group treasurer. And they have a liquidity crisis on their hands because their forecast says they're running out of cash in two months. Wow. Okay. December 2008. I don't know if you remember what that looked like. Well, but, uh, well I do. Well, we'll talk about this at the end of the show because I, I want to bring that up because I think we talk about 9-11. We talk about 2008, 09, 010, <laughs> 010. They were unpredictable. That GFC just was rubbish. You know, with the current situation, at least we're taking action is something we can plan for. But I think back in 08, 09, we didn't know what was happening. You know, we couldn't yep. predict it. It was unpredictable. 2008 crisis situation. Yeah. This is a private equity owned uh, company owned by Sun Capital of Florida. Yeah. And basically I come in and I dive into the whole you- forecasting process. A, so one, are the forecasts predicting doomsday uh, correct? And B, what are the options in terms of financing with our banking partners and particularly with our uh, factoring partners? Yeah. And of course, you know, I found uh, loose ends on both sides. A, the forecasts were not really good. This was a European company, you know, maybe 10, 12 European companies, and the forecasts were not well set up. So the guys didn't really know what to be putting in their forecast. We turned the screws on that and improved it significantly. And then B, we started talking to the banks and the factors and saying, okay, can we extend factoring terms? Can you accept these type of invoices? Can you accept those type of invoices? And and let's uh, definance after 90 days instead of 60 and so on and so forth. And, you know, all in all, that basically turned the situation around where we were not no longer running out of cash. We actually had, you know, 20 or 30 million euro in cash at the end of the period. And, you know, that was enough to get to the spring of 2009 when, when things were actually looking up for the financial. So recover. And then you made a couple of moves before then, or another move before Transcom and things like that. So talk us through those. So right after the apparel company, I get a call from a friend and he says, UNESCO in Paris is looking for an interim finance manager who's got banking experience to be the uh, deputy head of their internal bank, if you will or internal employee savings bank, because UNESCO has has an internal savings bank in Paris for its employees. So I said, well, that sounds interesting. Let's try it out. Yeah. And so it was about managing the accounts of all these guys. I don't remember how many accounts we had, probably a few thousand uh, retirees and active members. A lot of cash management. So they were making payments from their accounts. A number of retirees were living in countries all over the world. So a lot of FX and making payments to strange places, you know, like Bolivia. Or, mm. And then we had a big investment portfolio because all, the, all these guys' savings were at UNESCO, not in French banks or anywhere else, but at UNESCO. And we had to invest that. And this was right in the middle of the euro crisis. So after the 2008 financial crisis, you had the euro crisis with you know, Greece going down the tubes and everyone wondering, you know, whether the euro would survive or not. 
So pretty challenging in terms of asset management. We had no clear investment policy. So the prior guy had bought these sophisticated, you know, packaged investments, American Bank, which I will not name, but, uh, you know, with options and what have you. And thing was rated triple A before the crisis. And we were down to single B plus when I, when I got it. And so it was a different thing. Little piece of cash management, managing the flows for the individuals. Little piece of FX because the individuals were moving their money from euro to dollar to other currencies. And a lot of asset management saying, okay, uh, we've got eight or 900 million euro. How do we invest those? Do we buy bonds? Do we uh, buy a Greek debt, you know, and make a killing? Do we buy a short-term paper? And this was something relatively new for me. I mean, I have the banking background. I have the, I know financial markets. I understand how interest rates work, but I hadn't actually done the work, get on the Reuters, get on the Bloomberg terminal, get on FXL and do the swaps and do the operations and all Mm -hmm. that. So that's what I did. When you just get into it, it's not that complicated. There again, you know, it's a question of being curious and your homework and leaning on the team that's there to move forward. So Didier, you then made a move from UNESCO to Transcom. You came into this call center group, quite a different change, but you explained and then you were Luxembourg based, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so a friend of mine calls up uh, right after UNESCO, says, would you be interested in group treasurer role in uh, Luxembourg? And well, I said, uh, when do I, I start? Said, yes, yes, exactly. And uh, the answer was basically, well, uh, next week, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. And so I did. This was interesting because... It was broader, broader than the, the roles I had previously at Econocom and DB Apparel and, and UNESCO. It was a 700 million euro company. I believe we were in 20 or 25 countries, US, Philippines, uh, Tunisia, all over Europe. Uh-huh. 25,000 and some employees. Yeah. So interesting challenge, highly levered. Single shareholder, private equity group uh, based in Stockholm. So we had to manage the relationship with the banks, pressure on covenants, no cash management organization to speak of. So a number of different tasks, no real treasury processes. This was really a group that was, you know, sort of building itself up, hmm. uh, going from a fragmented uh, collection of uh, local companies into a single group. It's all together. And how did you do that? Because you get, we get people, you know, on the, the show going, yeah, I've got all these people all over the place. How did, what was your, how did you make that happen? You know, 15 countries into one cash management pool and everything else. You know, how did you make that work? I always start with the people. That is, you have to go out and meet the teams, the local teams all over you know, 25 countries, 25 teams, talk to them, establish your credibility. And then you say, okay, guys, we have to bring all this together through processes, through common tools, common processes, common banking partners. European cash management is one very powerful way to bring a company together by putting everyone on the same bank. So you have to find the bank that can do it all. And that's tough because they all say they can do it all, but You know, when you end up with a Swedish bank and they have to do Italian cash management, 
it's not as simple as you think. Mm. But basically, I mean, that's that's the way we did it. I uh, connected with all the local teams, established my credibility, and when they trusted me, I was able to sit down a plan, find the right bank, you know, do the usual RFP with uh, the usual suspects, and we managed to, to put in place a cash management structure relatively rapidly. Mm. At the same time, I took my ex-banker hat. I went to see the banks. And it's always a very, very fun because uh, I meet them and I say, I used to be a banker once so we can speak the same language. And that's when they start getting concerned, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they can't give me the usual excuses. Oh, we can't do this. You know, our equity ratios are like this. It like doesn't that. work. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let's get past that and let's just get some, uh, <laughs> some stuff done. Same thing, establish credibility with the banks. They understand that they have someone they can talk to on the other side. And then we focus on what the needs are. In that case, we needed to expand our, our debt. We needed to improve our covenants, got down, negotiated, got to settlement. It took, you know, maybe a year. Hmm. And then uh, we get to improve situation. And, and that's basically giving my CFO and my CEO options to expand to buy to and the way i see my job is basically you know number one i want to demonstrate control senior management senior management needs to feel that there's control in place we've got it we've got your back on the cash we've got your back on the banks you know we know what's going on we know how strong we are and two you want to give them options you want to do an acquisition you've got this option you want to cut back on this, you've got that option. Yeah. You know, that's really how I see my job in very simple terms. Control. I think it's important when we talk about the situation we're in today to have that control and to have those options and to look at it that way. And we're about to jump into that, but you then made uh, what I would consider an unusual move because a lot of guys and girls you know, listening today, they often we talk about the global treasury pipeline where people say, oh, I want to move US to Canada. That's fine. You know, but US to UK, Europe, you can't move. UK, Europe, you know, you can't move. You can move around Europe and even post-Brexit, I think you will be able to, and the rest of the world. So you move within your continent, but making the move across the Atlantic and everything else, could you just, you know, explain to people how you managed to achieve that move sort of thing? And it was a tough, challenging time, but you made it work. And I, I found this when we did our pre-chat before, you made it work. So unless, or you can make a move within a big corporate and stuff like that. So how did it work with you, Didier? So it was, first of all, it was a family decision. We had uh, young kids. The youngest at the time was 11. The oldest, I mean, uh, was 11 at the time. And <laughs> it's something we wanted to do for our kids. Hmm. So that's point A. Point B is, it's actually my wife got recruited in the U.S. Hmm. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll leave my job in Luxembourg, Stockholm, and we'll, we'll go to the U.S. And because I had gotten a U.S. education and I had worked for Citibank, I felt I was pretty equipped to find a job in the U.S. But visa issues are complicated. Visa issues have gotten even more complicated so it was a struggle. Mm. We managed to get a green card. Mm. And thanks to the green card, that opens up uh, opportunities for but me. That took, a, that took a while, didn't it? That was a challenge. Yeah, that took about two and a half years. Mm. To people, I so think, I think need to plan that. They, you can get it and you, you had the points to get it or whatever, but that was challenging. Yeah, I mean... I didn't do it off the top of my head without planning for it. And one of the reasons I did it is, you know, I had the liquidity. You know, I'm a treasurer. I don't run out of liquidity. Uh, I would not have, 
Yeah, yeah. I would not have done this if I didn't have some some no. sort of uh, liquidity backing me up for uh, for some time. So. Yeah. So that was the approach. Now, the interesting thing is, while I was getting my green card, I, I got a contact in Europe, another friend, it's always friends, you know, called me up and said, hey, this international company based in Paris called WFS, they're looking for a global treasurer. It's urgent. Does it make sense? So I called the guys up. I said, here's what I've done. Banking, treasury. I'm bilingual. You know, I'm living in New York, but I'm, uh, I can move around. Hmm. Maybe we can make this work. And they were in a hurry. They uh, had just fired the fire management and they didn't have a treasurer. They were highly levered. So I came in and started to do my thing. What was supposed to be initially a, a small stint, you know, hmm. turned into a longer, longer thing. I've been there almost four years now. And I'm based both in Paris and in New York. We have half of our activities in New York. We're in the U.S. with our headquarters in New York and the other half is in Europe with the global headquarters in Paris. And can you explain just briefly for the listeners, you know, you get you give a much better two thirds going up into the air and a third coming down out of the air or whatever. Uh, you know, why you as a cargo company, if you can explain. Basically, yeah, two thirds of our activity is we rent warehouses on airport premises. Mm-hmm. We have trucks coming in with cargo. We unload them, screen the cargo, repackage the cargo loaded onto planes hmm. or when planes come in with cargo in their belly we unload the planes unpackage everything and put it back on trucks that's your job as a treasurer to keep your cash right for that group and everything else and we spoke about you know so much more with treasury at the moment particularly in these current times and things like that treasury itself in these challenging times and bringing it up to sort of COVID-19, the lot, you know, what are your thoughts? Where do you sort of jump in? You, you and I, you know, we've, I mean, we joke, you know, the people that aren't, this is an audio podcast, we don't do the video because I've got face radio. He's all right. He Did he do it fine? I'm not. Mate. You'll see the photos. There's a lot of airbrushing. Joking aside, you know, where do you see, not treasury adding value, but what are the challenges? Well, I think, you know, a lot of people are always saying, you know, Priorities, cash, 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 cash is king, which to some extent it's true. We're, we're owned by a private equity a firm. We, uh, we're highly levered. So we need to pay interest, you know, and we need to uh, generate cash because that's basically what makes the value of the company. 2019 was a difficult year for cargo. Uh, volumes were flat or down compared to prior year. The mm-hmm. prior years were very positive. 2019 was a little bit difficult. So we were making plans to adjust and so on. And then we get to 2020 and January for us because COVID-19 shut down China. Oh yeah. So awesome. We always have Chinese New Year, you know, it's calm and then it picks up after a week and, and then we've got a lot of cargo coming out of China. And all of a sudden, we have no more cargo coming out of China. Mm. So that's the problem. Volume's down significantly compared to prior year. How long is it going to last? What's going on in Wuhan? You know, We're recording this in, in March, but the tap is starting to turn on just a tiny bit. Sort of, you know, it's not a gush. It's starting to release a bit, don't you find? Do you start to see that? You're, you're front line. You know in, this more than me. Yeah, in Asia. Absolutely. Hmm. In Asia, absolutely. So Asia's gone over the bump. But now we're seeing end of Jan, early Feb, Chinese problem. No more cargo coming out of China. How long is this going to last? You know, that's really a problem. The rest of the world economy is doing great. And then end of Feb, China seems to be getting the thing under control. And then we start to see stuff pop up, you know, in Italy. 
Mm, mm. Okay, how's our activity in Italy? Where Italy is a small country for us. We're not very big in Italy. You know, the risk is this much on measurable. Uh, yeah, on one percent of our business. Mm. So we're going to be okay. Mm. But let's still, you know, let's still plan for. You know, we're not going to get a very strong year this year. And then, then you know, we we start getting stuff getting worse here and there. And then you have the Trump announcement Wednesday. That was, what, 10 days ago? Yeah. Wednesday night. I heard it. I fell from my bed on, on Thursday morning hearing that on the news. You know, like, we're going to close all flights to Europe. So no one was ready for this. There was just mm-hmm. quarantine in northern Italy, but that was it. Mm. So that's where we see all the airlines saying, oh, well, what does that mean for us? You know, does that mean we need to shut down? And then from 10 days ago to today, we've just seen more and more countries shutting down. Now, in the U.S., you still have local flights. Uh-huh. You, know, you uh-huh. still have national flights flying around, but you can feel that, well, if New York is closed and California is closed, you're not going to get a lot of traffic between Kansas and Arkansas, you know? Can we come back with your business? You know, you say about this, you're, you're a cargo business, though, predominantly. How much is that related to the passenger revenues, or is, you know, is it more interlinked between that and actual cargo, cargo? So cargo is about 70% of our business, Okay. and passenger flights are about 30% of our business. Okay, so passengers, that's gone, well, virtually. So passenger, that's pretty much gone. Yeah. And the cargo, it's in flux mm. because China's back on now. Yeah. But we're not sure what the demand's going to be, you know, on the other side. Right. Which is it going to be? Are we going to continue to see demand from Europe and from the U.S. for Chinese goods mm. or not? But at least the Chinese, they can deliver now. Can I just go back? Because this is something I discussed and I've been having two or three times and I wanted to sort of bounce off you. Didier and I have known each other for many years in Treasury, seen each other in Eurofinance, he caught up for beers and things. I think it was, I'm trying to explain it to some of the, the team members and some of the guys there. I said, look, guys, we're going to go heads down and survive this and stuff. But for me, in terms of gravity of event, that's probably the best way to put it. 9-11 was an event. You know, I was moving jobs at the time. We had young children and everything else. We survived and I just put some notes, just as you were talking before, it was a terrorist attack. And what happened was it caused repercussions. It was horrendous. And then we got through it and rebuilt from there and not to happen like that way again. 08, 09 was horrendous for all the, because of the unpredictability. And like treasures I've talked about, you know, you'd like to predict, you'd like to have evidence and things like that. Global financial crisis, subprime, bankers over lending money, everything else. Because all that, people said to me, well, 2008, oh, it's pretty bad. And then it got worse in 09. And then it was carried on. I said, when's it going to finish, Mike? I went, I don't know. And they said, I don't know. I've not been through this. And I've not been through similar events to that because also we were victims of other things. And people said, well, hang on, we've, brought, we've done stimulus. We've brought this down. And it was. It seemed just like you just had to ride it out. And I think sometimes as a recruitment business, those times – we probably didn't make any money for about three or four years because it was pretty shocking, if that's the best way. This is different because it feels like far more, you know, as you say, it, it came from China, then we're at Jan 2020 China, March 2020 UK, April, May, moving into US. We're a global treasury recruiter, you know, the way, and this is not just, this is just more a reflection on it as we're going to make the show. I've said, guys, there's no Q2. As it, I, I'm getting emails from people who said, oh, have you got more, more, more new jobs on? Weird enough, well, very weirdly, about 
an hour and a half ago, I got an email from a client on the West Coast of America said, actually, the, someone wants to kick off a campaign. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, no, that happens later. But we have just basically, I'm, I'm assuming that Q2 is a standstill. You know, there will be no Q2, that everyone will come through this and then, or it's a, a sort of planning space. What, what do you think, Didier? I'm mean, being too, not too harsh, but just, what do you think? What are your thoughts? There's a lot of moving pieces. Yes. I mean, our cargo business is still very much alive. Yes. Because you've got to move stuff around and people need to eat and people need to get pharmaceutical supplies. And we're a key uh, item in there. Of course, some goods are more essential than others. Yeah. And so we'll see a shift from the non-essential goods to the essential goods. But this stuff is still happening and you need to be more reactive. So a lot more stuff is going through air than... So let me qualify that a bit. Well, well, there's a little bit of interference on Didier's phone, so hopefully we can get that back a little bit. So when I say standstill, what I mean is not everything stops. What I mean is it's business, you know, turning a handle, there's sort of no growth, you know, no new jobs are coming in, no new things. In your business, as you say, it's sort of, there's no passenger air, so there's not that up and down. But you're back to basics, if that's the right way. Does that concur sort of thing? Do, do you see what I mean? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean... We're back to basics. We're being very prudent. Yes. But at the same time, you do have some unexpected upsides. Yeah, I mean, you you read the news. Walmart is hiring 150,000 people. Amazon's hiring 100,000 people. So a lot of people are going to get laid off. But you do have upside, you know, here and there. As I was saying, you know, stuff needs to move around faster because we need to be more reactive. So there might be more stuff going on planes that used to go on ships. Okay, yeah. The problem is the uncertainty because we've never been in this type of situation. Mm. Mm. We don't know if it takes one month to get over the bump in the hospitals or if it takes three months. If it takes just one month and maybe, you know, Italy is going to be back online in April. I don't know. Who who knows? Madrid said today that they feel this week they're going to be, you know, plateauing. Yeah. I, I, I hope they are. It's the uncertainty of it that is worrying everyone. I think you know, I heard, when I heard recently that China, they said they were closing down some of the coronavirus-focused hospitals because they were running out of cases, you know, because they'd gone through the worst of it and then coming out, not making light of that whatsoever. It was just, it was more of this planning, this sort of getting through. And exactly as you say there, the fact is for me, it was just the planning of it. that There was more the certainty. 0809, it was like, when does it finish? I don't know. People say, when do you think it's going to finish? I don't know when this will finish. Oh, you know, I could say that things will be a different kind of normality. People say, oh, it's unprecedented, new normal. Yeah, it is a new normal. I think people need to be much more aware and stuff like that. It's probably a good thing as well. But yeah, very different sort of thing. So Didier, you know, going forward, you know, and looking at the future of this, and you've got a team, you've got other things happening. And so what are your thoughts? You know, what are your, sometimes as I say, we wrap up each episode or top three things of treasure. We're not going to do that this week. You know, it's more, what are your planning elements? Or Over to you. What do you think? A, I think we're far from the end of this crisis. So it's yeah. going to be a long march forward. Mm-hmm. But B, I'm cautiously optimistic, as they say in the markets, because, you know, the past two, three weeks is when we've managed to see that we have the right things in place. A, the team, you know, it takes a lot of time to build a good team. And then when, when things get really difficult, that's where you can see where, whether your team's up to it. Just speaking from my own experience right now, I think, you know, we've got this incredible team and 
I see this with a lot of people I speak to and they say, my team's really just incredible right now. Everyone's stepping up to the plate. Mm. So I think that's number one. You have to have the people who are calm, they're determined, they're serious, they get to work, they're not panicking or whatever. And we get through this, you know, with a laser sharp focus and team spirit uh, supporting everyone because, you know, it's not easy for for everyone the same way. Sorry, not to cut across you, but I want want to just dive in on that focusing just for a moment. Because we had this two weeks ago, my guys and I, we were all talking about different things, you know, planning. We were still in the planning focus for the rest of 2020. And actually, some of the guys were thinking about home improvements, some of the things I was thinking about different things with business. And we actually just came together and I said, guys, what we're facing now is not unprecedented. It is in some ways because we've done 9 we've done 9 we've done this. But when you did that focus thing with your team, did you do it in a sit-down chat with them i did you know we i said guys i'd had lots of thoughts what were their thoughts and we sort of threw everything out or how did or did you just do it more as a relaxed thing but it's purely personal interest i mean we did it at the at the XCOM level and it's basically okay uh you know what's happening what are we seeing on the client side what are we seeing on the supplier side where's our cash what are our options what's the uh, business continuity planning in terms of production and people and safety and all that stuff Mm, mm. and what i like in these uh, medium-sized companies is got 20 30 40 guys uh, it's not huge management teams, so you can get everyone together and get the focus and say, okay, you know, priority number one is we want to keep our people safe. We want to make sure that the operations are safe and, and that they're working. Hmm. Priority one B is what's our cash situation and when do we get in, into serious trouble? And, you know, once you've answered those questions satisfactorily and you could say, well, you know, we've got three months of cash we can take a breather and, and focus. then you start to divide up the tasks and mm. you know and, and get ready to anticipate the next uh, bad news that's coming your way yeah. but you know that's basically how we did it right. everyone went from one realization to the next like this is going to be bad to this is going to be very bad to this mm-hmm. is going to be the end of the world mm. to okay now that we've got that covered, you know, let's move on. It's all right. There's still beer in the world, so we're okay. Sorry, I make light of this, and I don't. It's just because we're reflecting on this. Not We're going to get through it. That's the key thing. Yeah, yeah. So, great team. We don't have perfect tools. We've no. got simple tools. You know, I have this thing, which is, you know, the star of the moment. It's a 13-week cash forecast, bottom up from my 22 countries. You know, I get that once a week. And, you know, that's basically telling us if we're going to be okay or not. Yeah. It's, it's simple. But it worked. We've got the priorities, as I said, you know, our workforce, safety, operation, our cash. And then we're reaching out, you know, to our partners, the banks, the clients, the suppliers, speaking to everyone, keeping everyone appraised, transparency, trust. Communication. Communication. That's what we're Mm, doing mm, right now to mm, to get mm. through this. Because, you know... If you don't have that trust and that communication, well, you know, you're not going to tell the guy that, oh, you, you won't pay him this month, but you'll pay him next month. He doesn't know. He freaks out and then things go south. Whereas we're doing our best to communicate with everyone that we work with. And I think it's very helpful to get through this. The government's the banks, clients, everyone's pushing in the same direction. And uh, that's what makes me uh, pretty hopeful right now. I'm going to take that. Pretty hopeful right now. We'll have those words. One of the things that we usually do at the end of every podcast, so that connect to Didier, give him his three, what three things for your career success. Do you know what? 
you don't need three things for career success. Just do some of the stuff that Didier has done on that. And that's not a joke. He's like, you listen and some of the stuff that you've done there about communicating, this is a real life example of how to be a successful treasurer. Amazing episode. Didier, you're amazing. He was unfortunately in Brooklyn, New York. I've got a, well, you won't see it, but I've got a Brooklyn glass with from my favorite brewery. So feel free. We might try and get some free booze. They won't. I don't care. Because I was hoping you have a glass of wine in France. But it's been amazing. Really lovely to talk to you and just to recognize events. Not to reckon, you know, not to sourly that people, you know, self-isolating UK and various other bits. And I think it will, you know, spread across the US and things. But we'll get through it. Get through what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's one of the things. Didier, anything else? Final words from you? I I, I love those hopeful words. You're you're a superstar star. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure talking with you, Mike. And, you know, you're much better looking than you uh, keep saying. (laughs) I'm not. I'm definitely not. Definitely. A lot of Botox and airbrushing would definitely help. Try Try, try video podcasting. Uh, no, not at all. No, I'm sticking to the audio. Guys, okay. if listening, thank you for listening today. Didier, thank you for being on it. A beer when we next hook up, maybe later on in the year, sir. With pleasure. Thanks Good a lot. Stuff. Thank you, Bye-bye. sir. Bye-bye. Cheers.